Oh crap, I gotta turn off the air conditioning. While I'm doing that, can you push that button down right there? That'll play our intro. Yep. You want to hang hang on just for like a few extra seconds because that, that tone will just like go and it'll sound really like, nice. Okay. It'll fade out. I'm learning here. We are back with episode three. Is it just the third? Just the third? I kind of want it to be the fourth. <laughs> Man, I really, uh, now that, I kind of wanted to play that Hank Green video, but it's too late now. I don't even know what you're talking about. The pottery one. Oh, the Vlogbrothers. Yeah. Uh, that's how I know his name. Let's talk about it. Okay. It's not the topic here, but I think it really applies to us starting this podcast. you want to summarize? Yeah. He was saying that a teacher had this idea of separating her class. It was like a pottery class or a, I don't know what you call it, but uh, into two groups. She separated them and... One of the groups, she, I think it was over like how long? Maybe a month or? It was the whole, it was the whole, the whole class. semester. Which the story sounds fake to me. Really? Yeah. Who would actually do this to prove that point? I mean. Oh, that's, uh, yeah. Well, I know, just go pretend I it's think real. it's cool. Yeah. But if it was real, maybe it is real. Um, so the first half of the class had to make just one pottery or one pot um over the whole semester and the other half of the class their goal was to make as many pots as possible and what they found out what am i missing the one pot they're charged to make was like the best pot yeah make the best pot that was their goal make the best one pot and then the other the other group was it doesn't matter just, just make as many make as many as you, as you, as you can, doesn't, can. The quality doesn't matter at yeah, all just just pump them out and at the end of the semester the pots on the group the on the side where you know they were making the most pots that they could their pots actually looked better than the one pot that everyone you know put all their resources to make which you know, before they said that, I thought it was going to be the other way around. I thought this one pot was going to be, oh, bomb ass because like... You have to choose quantity <clears throat> or quality. Right. And they put all their resources into this one pot. But what they what they found out, or at least what this Hank Green, is that his name, concluded, or the study concluded or whatever, was that the reason why the, the multiple pots were better than the one pot is because they had practice. And they kept, you know, they made their mistakes and then they learned from their mistakes and then they kept going. And Every they, pot was better than the one before. Every pot was better. Yeah. And, and that gave me hope for our podcast because I was starting to feel like, uh, this is going to be, oh man, I don't want to listen to these. I'll tell you that. And I'm kind of embarrassed. But then I'm like, you know what? You got to start somewhere. Everyone's going to be better than the one before yeah you just gotta start and in the creative process if you're not comfortable releasing something that feels kind of shitty you're never gonna be able to get better yeah so you have to just take the risk and put yourself out there you gotta ship it and that's this we learned this in the vlog in the beginning this is more my project in the beginning yeah i'm editing these videos and they just felt so crappy when i watch them now it's like it's cringy to borrow a millennial term for my kids yeah 
But it's also endearing because it's like, well, this was our humble beginnings. Yeah, and you, you can't get to where you are now without get it, being there. Mm-hmm. So exactly. people want to just make the master pot. Yep. So this is our shitty pot episode three. It's like when a kid starts to learn to walk. I mean, they're cute, but it's silly looking. Like they're like all over the place and they fall all the time. And now like I'm a, I'm a fucking rock star walking around. It's, like, it's really all about perspective walk. because if you told those people, hey, you're going to be examined and tested on every pot, I think there would have been a lot more pressure. Mm-hmm. But when you just tell people, hey, just, just make as many as you can. Yeah. And I think for us... I like to think, let's just make as many episodes as we can, knowing that it will naturally get better, mm-hmm. but we don't have to make them some standard of awesome. Yeah. Like at any time. Right. You're talking a lot more today. I like that. Maybe filming, not at. Maybe it's the Moscato. I don't know. Maybe not maybe. filming. Yeah. And we are still filming uh, naked because we're still in a hotel in Florida. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to miss this. Which is inspiring. I guess we could do this at home, but it's a little bit trickier. It'd be a little weirder. It's nice having these towels that we can just like, we're sitting on and we can just put them on the ground. Someone like cleans it up after us. Okay, today's episode, we had this question come in and you guys know you're supposed to ask the questions on the Anchor app so we can get the full audio, which makes our pot less shitty. It like yeah. fully takes advantage of the audio experience. But this question was really good uh, because I think a lot of people wonder about it or have this belief system um, about homeschooling. So, oops, I gave it away. But okay, let's get into it. Uh, but we, so we don't have the audio. So you want to read it? Sure. And, uh, and Cami really, you got excited about this question. Yeah, um, just because I think it it's a, it's what a lot of people think, and it's even what we thought before we started homeschooling. Um, and then I love the last part, but anyways, okay, this is Bob. Hi Ben. Are you are you gonna read it in your dude voice? Oh sure. Hi Ben. It's nobody's business, but I'm curious anyway. You were providing. It's, it's always funny to me when people start off questions. <laughs> As if it's like nobody's business, which I appreciate because I think in a way they're saying like, oh, it's a privilege to be able to ask that. And some people ask questions in like a demanding way. Yeah. And it's hard to know his tone when he's just writing it out. So he's probably trying to. But we've made our life everyone's business also in a way. Anyways. I still appreciate it. Um, Hi, hi Ben. (laughs) It's nobody's business, but I'm curious. Anyway, you were provided with a life that appeared to be fairly normal. You became successful with that background. Do you think that you are allowing your children to be successful in this world, given that you are protecting them from the normal interactions that help to make you what you are? They are experiencing lots of travel, etc., and I envy them that. Will they be able to live in a world that is not a homeschooled world? Without proper certification, it is unlikely that they will be able to get well-paying jobs. The second generation of homeschoolers, their children, will be difficult to finance on a regular minimum wage. Obviously, we don't see everything you guys do. I really like your close family. It is a credit to all the work you've done with them. Have a great week. Don't lose any sleep over the comments. I'm off to have a beer. Bob. (laughs) I love that. Oh, man. What do you love about that? Uh, I feel like it's a very, like he was trying to almost, it's almost like an email, like, 
sometimes Instagram comments are just like super short and I don't know he took the time I don't know if he's an older gentleman he might be like he took the time to just frame this whole thing where he's like hi Ben and then he has his whole thing and he like elaborates and then he's like almost like goodbye I'm off it's like a handwritten letter over an Instagram comment yeah no emojis no emojis yeah Ben probably appreciates that so yeah but I think this is really I like this question also because I really like having people that disagree with us but are respectful (laughs) oh absolutely we like I do I it's fact the world is so much more fun when you have people that disagree with you yeah like some comments drive me crazy when I feel like people are just like turning this into some sort of hero right but he's like you know he's respectful yep and has his own brain as do we okay so let's talk about this um do you with uh, do you think that you are allowing your children to be successful in this world given that you are protecting them from normal interactions that helped to make you what you are? First of all, I would say we're not protecting them. Uh, meaning we're not saying, oh, man, public school is bad. We don't want you to be there Yeah. because uh, we think it's dangerous or we don't want you to know what goes on there. <clears throat> Yeah. In fact, with our older kids, I would say if they choose public school, I would let them choose it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's actually a really important distinction because we're choosing homeschooling now because it better fits our priorities. Right. And moving on to the later parts of the question, I would say one of our priorities is financial freedom, not all of our priority. But mm-hmm. I actually believe that homeschooling in this environment will provide more financial freedom, more financial independence than um, anything you can learn in public school. Yeah. I want to first address the beginning, though, because I think because we're not trying to protect them from the public school, I think we make other choices uh, in our life that actually reflect that we're not trying to protect them from a certain environment. I mean, one obvious, not obvious, but one recent one is going on the Appalachian Trail. I mean, we were around a ton of different kinds of people and in a very intimate way. I mean, we're sleeping next to them, you know, and we're seeing all kinds of stuff. And, you know, you got all different age ranges, sexual preferences. I mean, you got you got everything, right? And we I actually really was glad for that because... I wanted them to see that, you know, who we are doesn't represent all of humanity. And I think you're talking a little bit on the moral side, but on the non-moral side, maybe the academic or strategy side, you see all these different people who are backpacking in different ways with different gear and different cooking styles and different goals and, you know, styles of just hiking in terms of like, you know, we hiked every day or we tried to with very few days off. Some other people... The degenerates we hiked with, they took a lot of days off and they hiked, they just hauled ass yeah. when they hiked. Yeah. Um, yep. Um, so I think, you know, our kids learned from that even though we didn't choose that. Right. So I want to talk about this statement though because Bob <coughs> says, without proper certification, it is unlikely that they will be able to get well paying jobs. I believe the opposite of that. So he must be talking about like 
you can show your high school diploma and then college diplomas or degrees or something like that. I believe at one time this was true. Man, we were listening to this podcast recently and I could not think of what it was, but the guy was saying that... He was talking about the Industrial Revolution. Industrial Revolution and how we are... I think it was Jordan Peterson. Man, who knows? No, because I wasn't... I I don't think I've listened to him. I listened to this. Anyway. He was saying that when you are training your children to do what robots are eventually going to be able to do, which is a lot of jobs now, more than we ever thought. Mm -hmm. I mean, like robots are doing a lot of stuff. Then you're training your kids to be robots. Right. Because a robot's going to replace them eventually. Which at one point made a lot of sense, I think, at least for the economy. And it even maybe made sense for the individual (coughs) people Although I'd argue whether or not that was very life-giving to them. but Oh, you know what it was? I think it was that um, podcast about uh, the NPR one about training kids up to be being, whether the parents are a carpenter or whether they're a gardener. Their, their style. Of, I think that's what it was. Yeah. But anyhow. Yeah, I think you're right. I guess, in one perspective, one of the reasons why we do homeschool is to protect our kids, but it's not from a moral thing, but it's actually from this in-the-box thinking where being in public school, it actually trains you more than anything. I mean, there's the things it teaches you, which is geography, math, English, Mm -hmm. but what it teaches you more than any of that is actually how to follow directions. And jump through these... And jump through hoops. Hoops, yeah. And what this one podcast is talking about, what we believe is that in today's economy, that's actually really dangerous because the best skill you could ever have is like from an entrepreneurial perspective is how to come up with new ideas. And what this person was saying, yeah, this was that podcast. Yeah. What this person was saying, and we'll link all this stuff below if we remember, was that um, imagine if you taught the scientific method that way. In science. Well, actually, hell, I think they do teach it this way, where you do, like, you observe other people's science for most um, of the most year. Most of school. You actually don't come up with your school, own hypothesis. Okay. You study Galileo and Newton and all these people. And the first time you ever do science, like, the first time you ever really do Experiment. it. Experiment. Yeah, where you actually are trying to discover some sort of crap mm-hmm. is in college or postgraduate. Or maybe, like, once mm. a year. I don't know. I just remember doing like... Like a science fair project? Yeah, if that even counts. I don't know. But he was comparing that with another mode of teaching, <clears throat> which is like you actually let kids explore from the beginning so that by the time they get to graduate level work, they're actually used to practicing the scientific method, not just observing it. Right. And schools are very good at getting people to recite data, memorize data, not follow, even long term. Like, I don't remember hardly anything. Follow instructions. And those aren't bad things. Yeah. But academia, like, and entrepreneurship, very little of that is stuff that has made me money. That That's like if you want to clock in. Well, and they're training that for 16 years if you go to, if you don't get a bachelor's degree. It's a long time to be trained in that one 
way of thinking. So a lot of our belief system is that the modern academic system was <coughs> built to create workers for the Industrial Revolution. And there's some historical fact here. And I'm sure there's multiple opinions on that, but that's just our broad view. Mm-hmm. And that that's, once again, this isn't a wrong thing, but the, the academic system has not evolved very much and the rest of the world has. Mm-hmm. So we might disagree on this, obviously, but we do believe we are giving our kids more of an advantage to make money in this world, not less. Just by giving them a broader, like be able to train them and be able to think differently. Yeah, by giving them a clean slate from having to, like... Undo a lot of... Yeah. So, I don't know if there's more to this question or if we just, like, nailed it. Well, and I think to look at our kids now, I mean, who knows? I think only one of our kids knows which maybe she wants to be or wants to pursue. Um, But... I think, you know, they. I think they'll be able to like f- develop the skills needed to pursue like what they want to pursue. Like especially if they have us supporting them emotionally and, f- and financially. And maybe we should talk about what we do teach because there's a lot we don't. Yeah. But I was inspired by this book called The Thomas Jefferson Education. Mm-hmm. And. One of the things that it pointed out was one of the best things you could ever teach your kids is how to learn, like how to be excited about learning itself. And the only way to teach that is by learning yourself. Like showing that you're excited about learning. Which is very different from what's taught in the public schools. What's taught in public schools, once again, there's the obvious reading, writing, and arithmetic. But what's taught, if you read between the lines, is that learning actually sucks. Uh Because someone's telling you to do it, the best moment of your life is spring break, Christmas break, and when school, the last day of school. Right. And then there's this idea that you're done with school, you turn it off, and now you play or work. Yeah. And those are subtle lessons but they're actually the most important lessons and another completely opposing viewpoint is no learning is what you will do for the rest of your life and i really like this because some friends of mine have inspired me even with like they're coming up with new math curriculums and he told me you know teaching math to kids is is kind of a waste in a way like almost he's convinced almost any person can learn high school level math within two weeks Mm -hmm. like if they're motivated uh, uh, learner. Like, hang on, I gotta go. I think that might be room service or something. I don't know if that was our door. Good. Yeah, we're good. But then they might be coming in a little bit if we're hearing it next door. I know, it's one o'clock. And we're, we asked for a late checkout and we're yeah. supposed to be checking out. But yeah. we have podcasting to do. Yeah. Hashtag priorities. Yeah. Where were we? You're talking about that someone could learn high school level math yeah. in two weeks. Now, let's say that's an exaggeration. Let's say it would take a month or two months or three months. All that to say, if you teach someone to care about learning and to be motivated, which is a much harder thing to teach, I think, mm. then any of our kids can you know, take English from someone. I think it's taught a lot through environment. Like, I think one of my, two of my favorite teachers that I remember 
One is in second grade and one was in 10th grade. And one in second grade, the reason why I can remember it so fondly is because she would read out loud to us the Ramona, the Ramona books, Beverly Clearly books. And I just remember loving that, you know. And, and then in 10th grade, my history teacher, he would show slideshows of places he had gone. And I just remember being engaged with that. So I think like environment has a lot, environment and I guess the tools you use has a lot to do with like loving to learn. I want to read this other list that I just found because I think this is influential for us. This was, it's called Harvard University's list of skills that make you an educated person. Mm-hmm. And there's a similar one from Princeton, but these are like the founding things. <clears throat> Holy crap, there's 10 of these. Okay. I'm just going to read them because it's shocking. Number one, the ability to define problems without a guide. Number two, the ability to ask hard questions which challenge prevailing assumptions. Number three, the ability to quickly assimilate needed data for masses of irrelevant information. Number four, the ability to work in teams without guidance. Number five, the ability to work absolutely alone. Number six, the ability to persuade others that your course is the right one. Number seven, the ability to conceptualize and reorganize information into new patterns. Number eight, the ability to discuss ideas with an eye toward application. That's like the opposite of school. I mean, everything you learn in school, you're not actually using it. You're like learning it from a book. Anyways. Number nine, the ability to think inductively, deductively, and dialectically. You can look all those words up on your own. And number 10, the ability to attack problems heuristically. I looked that up at one time. I don't remember what it means. <laughs> but all that to say, I want our kids to know how to do these things. And sending them to school is actually counterproductive for us. There's not enough hours in the day, I think, to, to send them to school to learn other things and to learn these things. Yeah. That's the way I see it. Um, yeah. And... The way that we've done this is very organically. Uh, so I have, in the last 10 years, I've owned a number of businesses and taken <coughs> taken my kids to every real estate transaction, almost every person that I've hired, every person that I've fired, every board meeting, every shareholder meeting, um, equity transfers, and there's been... I don't know if it's hundreds of meetings that my kids have sat in on. And that's the experience that they have. Mm-hmm. That, you know, because I, I went through phases where I felt guilty, like, <clears throat> oh, crap, they can't read as much or something. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Anything else you want to say about that? Nope. It's time to move on. We need to... Where's our news thing? I think it's this. Yeah, it's time for Fight for Together News. Okay. So you just hang on to the button. Okay. It just like goes out. All right. In the news today, this week, <clears throat> we have Mr. Rogers. Hmm. So Mr. Rogers, <clears throat> where'd that go? Uh, crap. This week, Mr. Rogers... Ah, stop that. 
The audio is going crazy. Mm-hmm. And this week, Mr. Rogers, it was 51 years ago, yesterday, that he walked into the studio and recorded his first episode. Oh, wow. Of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Hmm. And that show was really important to us because when we first started vlogging, making videos, we were looking for inspiration. Yeah. And I am not shitting you. He was the only person I could find as like a true North. Casey Neistat was a huge inspiration to me for style and video. Mm Mm-hmm. Boogie 2988 was an inspiration with some of his personal vulnerability. H3H3 was an inspiration to me for certain things with like just being, I would consider like a bit of a prophetic voice and just telling the Pushing damn truth. the envelope, yeah. But Mr. Rogers, from what I can tell, he said the simplest things like, you're special. And you're unique. He taught us how to connect to people through video. Like, how do you be your authentic self and make a video? Because in all these documentaries, and I haven't seen the latest one, but the one of the most amazing things people said about him was that he was the same on camera as off camera. Yeah, that's really. And he changed so special. many people's lives, mm-hmm. but he didn't do it by doing anything fancy. He just said the same things. Like, it's okay to be angry. And he was talking about topics no one else was talking about back then. I remember watching one, because we went, when we were starting our vlog, we were watching him with our kids, like, all together. Yeah. And he did this one talking about, he said, some parents get divorced, which is, like, no one talked about that back then. Right. But he talked about it. Right. And he just did it again and again and again. again. Like, Mm -hmm. 40 years of just saying simple things. And you'd think... I would feel like, oh, I need to evolve and start t- saying like fancy stuff now. Right. He never did. He always talked on kids level. Yeah. So that was inspiring to me. I don't know why we're celebrating 51 years after the first episode. That's a Google. Maybe Not it's just, 50. Yeah, Whoops, 51. we missed it. We missed it, maybe. So Google did some like video on their homepage that reminded me of that or, you know, mm. notified me of that. <clears throat> the second piece of news is more local more local this month the marathon guy ah stop that the marathon guy died chariots of fire guy chariots of fire guy from the cincinnati marathon thank you yeah and this was a man that i've seen five times and every time i tear up and he changed my life yeah and what he did was he sat on mile 24 of the marathon on this long stretch mm-hmm. in front of his old house. I think I'm tearing up now just thinking about it. And blasted the Chariots of Fire theme song through his windows on repeat. He was an older man. Yeah, and we were, you know, you're at mile 24, which you're almost there, but it's so hard at that point. And he seemed like he was 80, 70. I bet his name was was Jerry Burns. Yeah, hardly anyone knew anything about him because he didn't 
Just that he, he was the Chariots of Fire guy. If you Google the Chariots of Fire guy, Cincinnati, you <laughs> see him. And I almost made a video just about him because, but it's one of those things that's still in the editing phase. Yeah. But you would pass by him and he would sit in this chair because mm-hmm. he'd sit there for hours and he would clap. Mm-hmm. And he would say these simple things. He would say, good job. Thank you for running. Mm. You can do it. And contrast this to literally thousands of people cheering their brains out along the trail with these obnoxious signs. And I say obnoxious just because the signs are obnoxious. But when you're running a marathon, every single person there is encouraging. Right. Just by their presence. And they have those little clapper things. They're cla- making noise. And people are like have all these silly signs and things. And it's all great and it's all cool. But then you come to this guy and it's so different. Yeah. I don't know if it's just really intentional. Like, I want to release this video now. Yeah. Because I, I took footage of him and now that he's gone. Mm-hmm. Oh, maybe, you, we didn't say that yet. but I didn't say he died. Oh, no. He, he died. Yeah. This year. This month. This month. And there's this little clip on the news. <clears throat> Let's see. I've never recorded audio this way, so we'll see if you guys can get the vibe for it. You knew that you ran the full pig when you finally got to see Jerry. A flying pig legend. You knew you made it, as they just said, to mile 24 of the flying pig marathon when you saw Jerry Burns. Earlier this month, he passed away. But as the Nows Palasura tells us, the Tri-State will always remember him. Every year, flying pig runners see someone very special here at mile 24. Next year, the flying pig will be a little different. the white fence in the light blue house on Riverside Drive. Thank you for running. You can find Jerry Burns. Jerry Burns was a bit of a celebrity on the flying pig race route. And as he's doing this, he would, you know, do this. And it was just, I don't know, it just made me laugh and smile and feel good and it was just so cool to see him out there. For the last 20 years, I hope I can do this for a while longer. He encouraged Aww. runners with chariots of fire playing on the background. You knew that you ran the full pig when you finally got to see Jerry. It was just like one of those things. It was like you just knew he'd be there and it was it was an expectation almost but earlier this month 93 year old burns who was a world war ii 93 passed away He's been... all right so 93 dang man that makes me <clears throat> tear up i mean I, it'll be hard to Jeez. to go on the, the marathon and have and not, not be see there. him yeah and he said i hope i can do this a while longer uh, 93 years good job jerry you did it <laughs> well that's it for the news. It's time to go to the phone. Wrong one. <laughs> All right. It's time for the phone calls. And here we go. Hey, Crawfords. This is Heidi. I just had a quick question. I'd like to open up a little bit more on social media and YouTube about our family life. Um, but I'm worried about safety and security for my kids. And also my identity getting stolen because it's happened before. I was wondering if you guys had any tips or precautions (coughs) that you like to take to ensure the safety of your family and your kids' identities. I don't feel qualified to answer this. Yeah, we're not very good at this because (laughs) we kind of think part of our identity just got stolen when I was home. (coughs) Sorry, my throat. Um, I was, I'm like, getting these collections things and 
someone started an account with Verizon with my parents' old address with my name, and it turns out they had my social security number because when I called and gave them the last four, they had it. And I'm like, well, I haven't had Verizon in 10 years. Right. So we're not very good at this not kind of thing. good at this. Um, and we're generally, like, not very worried about it. So yeah. and maybe we should be more worried about it. I don't know. There's just, like... On some level, you have to decide that it's worth it. And I think you should be smart. Like, we put our address out there early on. I wouldn't do that probably starting from here on out. But I don't regret doing it before. Mm -hmm. Like, my general belief is if people want to find us, they they can. Now, when we become superstars and super famous and have the top podcast (laughs) in America, then I think we should be a lot more careful. Like, we'll probably have security guards walk around with us. Yeah. And always have a taser on us. <laughs> <laughs> and wear clothes and stuff. Yeah. And and not show like where we live at all cuz and it'll be like this huge mansion. Yeah. That everyone will want to be. But we at. didn't feel that need starting out or now. I mean, now it's a little different, but still we're not big or famous. Yeah. I mean, unless you're showing your social security uh, number on screen, my viewpoint is the way most people live, smart people can already figure it out. Like if you're showing pictures on Facebook. So I, I would just, I guess what I would question is why are you putting stuff out there and is it worth it? Because if you're just putting stuff to connect with people, for us, we believe our message is worth taking that risk. And one of the bigger things I think about more than like for our kids' safety is not just like an identity hacker so much, but it's them growing up famous or used to everyone knowing them and then they don't have a chance to live a quiet life if they want right i just don't think we're at that level yet and i don't really think we ever will be with the nature of our message right so scrap everything i said about the giant mansion and (laughs) tasers and tasers i don't know i still kind of want a taser all right i'd like to hear about combining homeschool with adventuring how do you find time to keep your kids challenged in school and still make time to go on adventures? Thanks. Hmm. I think our priority, we see like the adventures as almost not more important than (coughs) their normal challenges in schooling at home, but just as. Yeah. and, And this is like, the problem we run into oftentimes, and, and we had this issue, was when you start homeschooling, I think we start, started to think, oh, we got to do what they do at school, but now we just got to do that at home. Yeah. And because we were religious, we we're like, shit, we, now we got to add religion and Latin mm-hmm. and all these other things. Yeah. And it was just more pressure. We were trying to replicate school. Right. In the last five years, we've kind of like quit that model, and we have been thriving and i think watching our children thrive so much more yeah i mean they're learning kids like learn unless you create systems in your life that prevent learning and i would say like video games and internet usage is actually up there Mm because you can just like actually zone out and entertain yourself for probably literally every waking hour of the day but if you have an environment that's conducive to learning kids will learn the one of the number one questions we got on the AT, the Appalachian Trail, was, well, what are you doing for schooling? 
And I'm, I always scratched my head at that because I was just like, this is it. Like, well, people are thinking reading, writing, and arithmetic. Yeah. And if you, assuming you can learn all that in two weeks or two years, then I think adventuring actually taught this list of Harvard things, uh, the ability to define problems without a guide, the ability to ask hard questions, which challenge prevailing assumptions, the ability to work in teams, the ability to work absolutely alone. I mean, mm-hmm. our kids learn more leadership, tenacity, perseverance, stick-to-itiveness uh, than I've seen possibly in any other environment in their life. I actually feel proud that our seven-year-old, Fulia, she doesn't really know how to read yet, but that she hiked the Appalachian Trail. She can't tie her damn shoes. Before she, yeah, learn how to read, tie her shoes. She's ran two marathons. I mean, I'm not saying that's what every seven-year-old needs to do, but I just think we have this like certain prescription for our kids that maybe we're doing them a disservice if we don't think a little bit like it's okay. Because like, she'll learn how to tie her shoes, eventually. and she'll learn how to read. Like, or she can just get Velcro shoes for the rest of her life. <laughs> Those are pretty cool looking. My question is about homeschooling. Have you always homeschooled? How did you make that decision? And what? curriculum or what materials do you use to homeschool that's a good question kind of just framing this all up um we got a little theme here history of homeschooling uh we haven't always homeschooled but we almost almost have i was convinced i would never do it yeah of course my my girlfriend my only girlfriend ever in high school she said that she would never homeschool and I was like thinking that I probably wouldn't, but I wasn't like as gung ho as her. You weren't like super against it. No, but I kind of saw that as a bit as of a red flag <laughs> for our relationship. Yeah, you were only sixteen, <laughs> but um, but but I didn't like what ho- I didn't like what homeschooling represented to me at that time, which was sheltering your kids, mm-hmm. social awkwardness, yeah, and everything that comes along with a lot of fear. Right, and we didn't have any other better reason to homeschool, so we just saw the negatives. So we sent our we sent Dove to public school, and well, both we our, did preschool for Devin, and then we, yeah, we did kindergarten public school for Dove. And then I talked to a business partner friend, uh, and he said that he believes that family should be the primary influence in a children's life. <coughs> And that it was would be very hard to send your child someplace for eight hours a day while still maintaining that. Right. In fact, it's kind of impossible because in a way you're telling your children just by the very nature of like, hey, we're giving this institution or these people the best, highest quantity of time in your life, eight hours in the middle of the day to instruct you. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. I'm expecting you to come home and see family as important. You're always going to be competing. Right, And that's where I made the decision at that point in time that if if I had the choice between kids that were friends with each other in 20 years, mm-hmm. even if they weren't, quote unquote, socially adjusted to whatever trendy peer group 
exist at the time, mm-hmm. or if they were like not awkward, I would choose the sec the first. I would I would want them to be friends with their siblings. Yeah. Once again, not that you have to choose, but in a way, what we had experienced with public school is that you know you're with all people of your same level, age wise, and you kind of like I made fun of my brother. Mm-hmm. I wasn't close to him, but I was close to all these random strangers, none of which I know now or right. care about me. Yeah. And I'll never forget, you know, another thing happened that same summer. Yeah. I went up to this camp and it was this homeschooling camp. We just ended up there because it was just a week that worked for us. We're around all these weirdo homeschoolers. <laughs> and there was this talent show at the end and we had not gone to anything all week. Like we had skipped all the chapel services and skipped all the <laughs> so <bad>. events. <clears throat> and then I went to this talent show just because I was like, why not? Mm-hmm. And I watched this family up on stage, and there was like a 17-year-old and a 2-year-old mm-hmm. and a bunch of kids in between. I think they had eight kids. And they were like dancing up there. Yeah. And I was like, something's wrong with that. <laughs> but then I was like, is there? Hmm. Or is there something wrong with me that seeing two siblings separated by 15 years felt yeah. weird? So there was like a 17-year-old dancing with his 2-year-old brother and yeah like that's weird in our culture but why like why why not well because if if your kids aren't close or if you're not close to your siblings you have to find a way to make sense of it and i think you can just make fun of the awkwardness which it is awkward in our culture right um yeah so that was what drove our decision in the very beginning was it was all relational and not academic at all right and to answer the curriculum question. Well, yeah, for the next 10 years, uh, <coughs> we still kind of held to the model of, okay, so you're homeschooling your kids, but the how you do that is you just bring public school into your home or private school into your home, whatever, and make sure you do all the subjects, which, by the way, I was never very good at. Like, I, I would just half-ass it or just – I just didn't know how to – I just wasn't, I wasn't a teacher, like, I just, at least in that way, that model. Um, I don't want to sell myself short here, but, uh, and then we had a shift about five or six years ago where we, we kind of were just like, well, it was more, it started with, with you. I was reading that Thomas Jefferson Education. <clears throat> right. And I was actually reading a book by Tim Keller called Every Good Endeavor, which is about how work itself is good. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And because I think we just had this very narrow view of what schooling was or learning was. Because when you teach your kids to jump through hoops, when you teach them s- s- learning sucks, but you just got to do it. Yeah. All of life becomes that way. You go to this school, but it sucks, but you got to do it to get to the next school, which sucks. So you got to do it, which gets you into the next school, which sucks, but you got to do it, which gets you into the next job, which sucks, but you got to do it. Yeah. So someday you can retire. And I hear this from a lot of people when they hear that we homeschool. The usually it's the mom saying like, "Oh, I'd kill my kids if I had to do that." And I think I experienced that when I was under this pressure cooker of I have to do it this way, and I have to jump through these hoops or check off these boxes with my kids. But once I, I mean, we took a year off of school completely, which at the time, which I feel like we're still taking <laughs> off school, but at the time that was like really hard for me because I felt like I was being a a shitty parent like I wasn't um I felt like my kids were going to be stupid I mean I I was dealing with all these like 
now I see irrational fears from our culture, you know, that kind of, I was, I adopted. Um, and we did it. We took a year off. And in that year span, I, I actually began to believe this was all kind of just put on me. <laughs> like, I don't need to believe this. Like, I can believe something else that I, that actually fits us better. And I think it fits people better. Yeah. I mean, I just remember the scenario specifically of you trying to teach our kids math and they would be crying you would be pissed and it wasn't in the best interest like it wasn't the best way they learned math right but you had all this pressure and we're essentially using our kids to feel better about yourself as a mom like i need to get this lesson done so the kids actually getting in the way of the math lesson right which is so ironic because if the, the point education is to actually serve the child right you have to come up with the learning style or goal that's best facilitates learning, which is not high pressure yeah. checking off boxes. Right. One other thing I want to say, just because I think this is kind of fun, mm-hmm. is that lo- the two top YouTubers right now, Logan and Jake Paul, just hired their dad to be their manager. Yeah. And this guy is an idiot. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> he, I I can say that just as my own opinion. Sure, like yeah. I I, I mean the internet kind of <laughs> will prove it. But <clears throat> anyways, he's not the smartest business guy. He's just kind of this hothead, I think, from Ohio. And um, from Ohio. Yeah, what, what, what good came from Ohio? <clears throat> but anyways. Here you have the two most, the guys probably making the most money off YouTube right now, I would guess. Mm. And who are they hiring? Their father. A family member. Yeah. I mean, are they hiring? A family member. They, they are the most qualified and probably in the best position to be hiring some professional. But I think after a while, you go through relationships of peers, professionals, and at the end of it all, doing business with family or relationship with family when push comes to shove family really matters and these guys Mm. it's just such a weird move in a way but in a way i totally understand it because when you make a lot of money very quickly and you're like wondering who can you trust you can't trust anyone besides you know at least you're more likely to trust family than anyone else right and you don't realize that until things really so that's why it's so ridiculous for them because they're making so much money they could really hire someone Mm. who really knows what they're doing but I think the peace of mind that you get when you it's, invest in family is worth it. Is worth it. Yeah. So we're doing that with homeschooling now. That was the point of that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I think we're done. We gotta get out of here. We're thirty minutes late, and we yep. we want to go sit by the pool before we have to catch our airplane, which is really soon. So, it's time to say goodbye. Yeah. We'll see you guys next time. Bye. Oh. Thank you for listening to Fight for Together. We'll see.